If you have them, please, and turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. We are studying through the book of Revelation on Wednesday evenings here at the church. Um, I've been at Mount Zion now for almost five years. It'll be five years this uh, coming January. And throughout those five years in our Wednesday night Bible study, we've set that side of time just to study through um, a book of the, of, of the Bible. And that's what we've been doing. I just preached through um, a certain book. You say, well, Rose, what do you mean by that? You preach through that book. Well, we just go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, straight through that book of the Bible from beginning to end. And um, there are several reasons why we do that. First of all, um, I felt led of the Lord to do it. I want to be spirit-led in everything I do. How many know there's great importance in that church that we be spirit-led in everything that we do? Every plan, every program, um, every prayer, every message, everything. We need to be led by the Spirit of God if we're going to be effective. Uh, A.W. Tozer said something um, years ago that I read just last week. He said, um, if the Holy Spirit were to be pulled out of the earth, 95% of what happens in the church would continue to happen. He said, if 95% uh, or excuse me, if the Holy Spirit would have been pulled out of the early church, the first church that we see in the book of Acts, they would have not been able to keep going as they were going because what they were doing, all of it, uh, was being led by the Holy Spirit of God. And so the point he's making is that we've come to the place where we've learned to do church without God's power. We've learned to do uh, our programs without God's leading. And so everything that we do has to be because of the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. And so that's paramount. That's the first and foremost. That's the reason why I want to continue with what God's Word says. Can you say amen to that? But now let me, let me share something else with you. I believe the Bible to be God's Word. And I believe the Bible to be His absolute truth for me and for you. If you believe that, church, say amen this morning. Listen, I believe God's Word is truly what sets us free. That's what Jesus said. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Not could, not might, not maybe, but when you get a hold of the truth, it shall set you free. The truth sets us free from the bondage that we are in. And so I am thankful uh, to have the opportunity and privilege of preaching God's absolute truth. That is His Word his Bible. Truth, the truth is our answer. The truth is what we need. And so uh, I'm so thankful that we get to get a hold of truth. Now in the last five years in Wednesday nights, we've looked at the book of John. We've looked at the book of Ephesians. And now we're in the middle of the book of Revelation right here in Revelation chapter number 12. And so we saw three things really Wednesday night that I want to continue this morning. I just couldn't get this off my heart this week, couldn't get it off my mind. And I want to continue where we left off Wednesday night in Revelation chapter 12. We looked at the first six verses and we said there are three main points in this chapter. First of all, we see the mention of a woman. Then we see the mention of a war. And then we see the mention of a woe. Now, Wednesday night, we talked about the woman, and we saw, uh, according to Scripture, that the woman was symbolic of the nation of Israel. Uh, the nation of Israel is symbolic of the remnant of God's people 
um, that will be uh, following after him during the time of great tribulation. Now, how many of you know uh, that is not something that is new? God has always had a remnant of people who were following hard after him, who were faithful to what he says, who believed in who he is. And just like today, well, there is a, I believe, folks, with everything in me, the reason why America is not being judged today is because of the remnant of the people of God that are still here. And so there is still a remnant upon this earth today that are serving after the Lord, uh, but they're also going to be a remnant serving Him in the future, being faithful to Him during the time of great tribulation. So the woman speaks of that remnant, the people of faith. And then we want to see, starting in verse 7, uh, the Bible mentions the war. And that's really what I want to talk to you about today. How many of you understand that we are in a war? Do you know that? I think we miss that sometimes. I don't, I don't know how we miss it. To really miss it, I think you have to have your head in the sand. See, if you're a child of God and you're following hard after the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're allowing Him to lead God and direct your life and you're applying His truth, His word, His standard unto yourself and you're living in a way that's pleasing Him, you can't help but realize you're in a war. If you don't believe me, pick up your newspaper and flip through it. You're going to find that we are certainly in a war. What we believe in, the foundational principles upon which, listen, our faith is built are being challenged each and every day. The foundational principles that this country uh, was founded upon, which is the Word of God, are being challenged each and every day. We live in a nation where we are aborting millions of babies a year. We do everything we can to protect the endangered animal, but we say it's okay to kill a baby. We are in a war. Do you realize that right now, 70% of high school seniors that graduate and go off to college, 70% of them leave the church? I'm talking about kids who grew up. In church, Sunday in, Sunday out, Wednesday night in, Wednesday night out. They went to all the plans and all the programs, but when they get the chance to leave, they leave and don't come back. We're in a war. And if we're going to make any headway, we need to realize that. Now, the war that's being spoken of in the future in Revelation chapter 12 that's being prophesied about is a perfect representation of the war that we're facing right now. Let me tell you what I figured out about the study of prophecy. The study of prophecy is not just, uh, listen, showing us what's going to happen in the future, but it is teaching us how we should live today. It's applied to our lives today. And that's what I want to do this morning. I want to talk to you about the war that we all face, the enemy that we have, and how we overcome. Look what it says, Revelation 12, verse 7. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, verse 8, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan which deceived the whole world. How many of you know Satan is a liar? He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength 
and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Verse 11. And they overcame Him. They meaning the remnant. They meaning the people of faith of whom the dragon had come against in this great war. Listen. They overcame Him. We've been talking a whole lot lately about being an overcomer. Walking in victory. They overcame Him three ways. And we'll talk about this in length as we go along. But He said, they overcame Him, first of all, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Let's pray together. Father God, we love You. Thank You so much, Lord, that You are with us no matter what. Lord, today I am so thankful for Your grace and Your mercy your mercies that are new for us every morning. Because, Lord, I needed them this morning. I'll need them tomorrow morning. Lord, I'm just a man. I can do nothing without you. Lord, today I'm praying that you fill me up and you pour me out and you use me for your honor and for your glory. Lord, I'm praying today that you help me to preach as a dying man and a dying people. For, Lord, that's what we all are. God, I'm asking you today. That you would have your way and your will in these services. Holy Spirit, would you even now begin to convict hearts, speak to people, and do the work that only you can do. And Lord, for these things, we're going to praise you because you alone are worthy. In Jesus' mighty name we do pray. Amen. The war. We need to see, first of all, who is at war. And in verse number 7, the Bible says the war was in heaven between Michael, whom we know to be the leader of God's angels. He's called the archangel several times throughout the Word of God. He's the captain of the angels, if you will, the one who has the leadership role. He's in control of the armies, uh, the angelic armies of heaven. That's Michael who's spoken of here in, in verse 7. But it also says... His angels, Michael and the angels of heaven, fought against the dragon. Now we know the dragon to be Satan himself. Satan and his demonic angels, the angels that had fallen when Satan decided he was going to ascend above the Lord and the Lord cast him down. We found that in Isaiah 14. And if you want to go over there and look at that this week, I encourage you to do so. But I want you to understand and know, listen to me now. I want you to get a hold of this. There's something we need to see concerning Satan and this war that is being fought. First of all, we need to see in this, Satan has access to heaven. Do you realize that? Do you realize that even now, Satan has access to heaven, to the heavenlies? Go with me if you will. Keep your place there in Revelation chapter 12. And I'll look at Job chapter 1 for just a moment. Job chapter 1, and let's look down at verse number 6. The Bible says, Now there was a day when the sons of God, now the sons of God there that's being spoken of in Job 1, 6, he's talking about the angels that God has created. He, he says, he calls the angels sons of God many times throughout the Old Testament. He says, There was a time when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. That means 
that Satan himself had access to, to uh, heaven. And he stood before the Lord, and this is what happens. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, so that feareth God and escheweth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doeth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made an hedge about him and about his house and about all he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance and increased in the land. Look at verse 11. And put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Up only upon himself put not thou thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Now if he went forth from the presence of the Lord, that must have mean that meant that he was in the presence of the Lord in the heavenlies. Satan right now has access unto the heavens. We need to see that. We need to know that. But now let me say something else to you. I want you to know that Satan also, as of right now, has access in the earth. He's at work in the earth. How many of you have ever heard of a man by the name of C.S. Lewis? C.S. Lewis is one of my absolute favorite authors. If you're looking for some good reading material that's going to point you to Jesus, you need to check out C.S. Lewis. But C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. And in that book, he outlined how Satan's plan is not for uh, the, the, the people of earth to, um, to fear him, but for the people of earth to not believe in him at all. That was Satan's plan. And I can understand that. If we don't believe Satan exists, why would we worry about it? If we don't believe Satan exists, then why in the world would we prepare to do battle that we must do every day when he comes against us? And so um, C.S. Lewis, what he wrote, I believe is absolute truth. Because I want you to know, today um, the, the Barner Research Group did a survey back in 2001. 79% of people who had no religious affiliation whatsoever, they weren't a member of any church or any religious organization, they were asked if they believed in a literal devil. And 79% of them said they did not. That means 8 in 10 people in 2001 did not believe in a literal Satan, a literal devil. Now, I want you to think about that just a minute. That was in 2001, and I would dare to say if the same survey was done today, it'd probably be even higher than that. Probably would. Can't get much higher, but I believe it would be. Now then, then they went and asked Protestants. I'm talking about people that they viewed as being what they call the religious right, those who claim to be blood-bought, born-again uh, servants of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, that are in Baptist churches just like this one all over our nation. They asked them if they believed in a literal devil. And you know that only 72% of people that are in church on a weekly basis actually believed in a literal devil? I want you to know something. Satan has access in heaven, but I want you to know he's alive and well and at work in this earth. And how people don't see that that listen, that alone shows their spiritual blindness and the lack of preaching of the Word of God because guess what? If you get in the Bible, you're going to see Jesus talk a whole lot about Satan. The Bible teaches a whole bunch about Satan, so it makes me wonder what's being taught in churches all over this country, all over this world. His plan is to Slip in under the radar. Do the job that he does. 
which is to divide and conquer and destroy everything that God is doing. We need to know who He is. If we're going to be successful in the war that we face day by day, there's a writer by the name of Shun Tzu. He wrote The Art of War. This is what he said. He said, if I know my enemy, I will not fear the outcome of a thousand battles. I love that. He said, if I know what my, who my enemy is and what my enemy is planning, then I don't have to fear what happens in the battle. I know I can be victorious. Now guess what, child of God? How many of you understand we already have victory in Jesus? That's the good news. Like I've been telling you on Wednesday night, I've read the back of the book. I know who wins. I've read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57, where it says, we have been given the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I get all of that. I know the victory is mine ultimately, but we must realize we battle every day throughout this life. So we need to understand who our enemy is and what he's up to. And according to Revelation chapter 12, it's outlined for us right here on the pages of Scripture. So who is he? Well, look down with me. Look at verse number 9. The Bible says three or four things here about who our enemy is. First of all, the Bible calls him the dragon. Now that speaks of him being fierce. That speaks of him being cruel and his appetite for destruction. Do you remember what Jesus said in John chapter 10? He called in that verse Satan the thief. He says the thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. He is the dragon who has a fierce appetite for destruction. What does that mean? He wants to destroy everything God is doing, everything God has done, and he wants to destroy everything God wants to do in the future. And folks, he wants to destroy what God God is doing in your individual lives. He wants to destroy your marriage, your witness, your relationship with your kids. That's his job, and believe me, he does it well. The Bible don't only say he's the dragon, but it also says he's the serpent. Look what it says there. Revelation 12, 9, that great dragon was cast out, that old serpent. Serpent. When the Bible calls him the serpent, it speaks of his subtlety. Again, he wants to slip in under the radar, do his deceptive work among God's people. The Bible says in the book of Genesis that Satan came as the serpent and the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. He uses trickery and deception and makes things look really good that are actually really bad. To the man or the woman who's contemplating an adulterous relationship, how many of you know that looks really good to them in the beginning? But Satan don't want them to see what's going to happen in the ending. When their lives are in shambles, when their relationship with their family is ruined, He's very subtle. He knows how to appeal to this fleshly, sinful nature. And he does it well. Uh, listen to me, folks. Satan um, knows uh, the, the, the dangers of, of a lot of different things in this world. And he uses that against us. I, I think about the first time I ever tried um, an illegal drug. 
It was the greatest thing I'd ever tried in my life at the beginning. But guess what? No one told me what the ending was going to look like. When that substance had a stronghold and a stranglehold on my life that I couldn't shake. Satan had me fooled in believing that's what I wanted and that's where I needed to be. He's very subtle. He uses trickery to do his job. He is the dragon. He is the serpent. But let me say something else to you. The Bible also says, verse number 9, he calls him the devil. Now the word devil is the word diabolo. And that means one who slanders. Now, and that's exactly what Satan does. How many of you know, we read in Job chapter 1 where he slandered Job before God. You see, his job is to slander men before God and to slander God before men. I want you to know something. You need to get a hold of this. I want you to get a hold of this. We are never more like Satan than when we are slandering brothers and sisters in Christ. You're never more like Satan than when you gossip about those in the family of God or outside the family of God. You become a slanderer. So be careful what you say. Be careful. Listen, what you say, when you say it, how you say it. Be careful. Don't act more like the devil than you're acting like Jesus. Amen. And we're never more like the devil than when we slander others. He's the slanderer. He's the serpent. He's the dragon. But it also says he is Satan. And the word Satan means adversary. Our enemy. The one who comes against us. Get, take your Bibles. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. Watch this. Look down at verse number 8. Let's just start with verse number 7. All this is good and we need to get a hold of it. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 7 says, Casting all your care upon Him for He cares for you. How many know that the Lord cares for you this morning? I want you to know that. Maybe somebody need to hear that this morning. Maybe someone here felt like mama didn't care about them or daddy didn't care about them or their husband or wife didn't care about them or their best friend didn't care about them. Let me say this to you upon the authority of the word of God. You believe this is true, don't you? Amen. Amen. So, so let me give this to you upon the authority of the word. Not, not what Israel says. That don't mean a whole lot. But if, if what I'm saying is backed up by what this says, that means a whole bunch. Amen. Now look, God's word says he cares for you. That means the God of all creation, the star-breathing God who is sitting on His throne in heaven this morning cares for you. That means if you would have been the only one in this earth standing in need of a Savior, Jesus would have came and went to the cross for you. That means in spite of what you've done, where you've been, what problems you're facing right now, He's in it with you. He cares for you. Amen. In spite of what your past looks like. Oh, listen to me. I, I, you've got a past. Guess what? I've got one too. But praise God we made it. Yeah. We're still here. God ain't quit on me yet. Why? Because He cares for me. 
and he cares for you. Look, the God who cares for us wants us to know something. Listen to what he wrote to us in his precious word. He says, verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, who is Satan, the devil, that slanderer, who is accusing men before God and accusing God before men, watch this, is like a roaring lion, and he's walking to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. He wants to tear you limb from limb. Now, how many of you like National Geographic Explorer? Anybody ever, ever watch that? That's one of my favorite shows. I watch them things all the time. And I actually watched how a pride of lions hunt their prey. And let me tell you what I saw in that. Those lions, listen, if they've got a, a herd of wildebeest or a herd of antelope, they're not going to take on the whole herd. You never see that. Let me tell you why. They're no match for the whole herd. Can you say amen? What that, what that line will do, it's going to wait until one is straggling behind the group. It's going to wait until one is off by itself somewhere, and then they'll pounce on that and have dinner. Now the Bible says that our adversary is just like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Let me tell you this. When you separate yourselves from the body of Christ, you make easy pickings for our adversary, the devil, who's like a roaring lion. And, and even that happens so innocently sometimes. You miss one Sunday for whatever reason, and, or, or one Sunday night for whatever reason, or one Wednesday for whatever reason, and then it becomes easier for you to miss the next time. And then it becomes easier for you to miss the next time. And then Satan starts putting things in your head like, well, if you go back now, what are they going to think about you? If you go back now, somebody's going to ask you where you've been, what are you going to tell them? And you start thinking all this stuff. I'm telling you, that, that's a work of the enemy himself. And he, he's doing everything he can to separate you from the herd. Let me tell you why. Because there's strength in this. What I mean, I encourage you you encourage me. I learn from you. You learn from me. Iron sharpens iron and we all grow stronger. I pray for you. Praise God. You pray for me. You're hurting. I'm hurting with you. I'm hurting. You hurt with me. Why? Because we are part of this body. Satan knows that. So if he can separate you, if he can lie to you and get you outside the will of God, Outside of the body of Christ, doing your own thing somewhere, guess what's going to happen? He's going to pounce when the timing's right. Then he'll bring temptation your way. Now listen, when temptation and opportunity meet, it's only by the grace and power of God that we overcome it. You know what I pray for continually? Lord, don't let temptation and opportunity meet. Think about that. He's like a roaring lion. We do have an adversary. We are in a battle daily, even though we have victory in Jesus. These people of faith in Revelation 12, this prophetic writing that we're no, we're no, we know is going to take place in the future, 
the Bible says that these people are going to overcome. Now, how, how is it that we overcome? Same way they do. Three ways. First of all, we overcome because of Calvary. Look what it says there. Revelation 12. Verse number 11. And they overcame him, that dragon, that serpent, that devil, Satan himself. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. You do not have a prayer in overcoming Satan in your life if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior. And you only know Jesus as your personal Savior if you've trusted by faith in His finished work at the cross and through the tomb. See, what I'm saying is, Jesus died for you to take the punishment for your sin, and God says if you'll place your faith in Him, you can be made right with God and be born again spiritually into the family of God. You can become adopted sons and daughters of God, but it only happens by faith in Christ and the application of the blood. Amen. They overcame because of Calvary. That's why we can claim, everybody take your Bibles and turn them to 1 John chapter 4. I want everybody to see this that's got a Bible this morning. 1 John chapter 4, and look at verse number 4. This is for the believer. And it says, ye are of God. Who are the ones who are of God? Those who have been born again. Who are the ones who have been born again? Those who trusted by faith in Jesus and had that blood applied. Amen. You're of God, little children, and have overcome them because, watch this, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Satan does have access in this earth. We know that. We see that every day. Can you say amen? But I've got good news for you. If you're a child of God, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Now, if you're not a child of God, guess what? You can't claim that promise. I had a uh, man ask me one time, we were, we were uh, having a, a prayer service. And during that prayer service, um, one of the ladies that was, was, was um, there with us and sitting around, was all sitting around in a circle, she began asking prayer for one of her neighbors. And she said this, she, she told about all that was going on in their life and how um, Satan was truly destroying their lives um, in every way possible. And when she got done, she said, I just don't know how people make it who don't know Jesus. And one dear brother sitting to my right, he spoke up and he said, how do you know they are? See, what happens a lot of times, people put on a false front, a plastic face, smiling on the outside and broken on the inside. They don't want anybody else to know what's really wrong and what they're going through and, 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 and what's happening in their life. But the truth is, on the inside, they're broken and undone without Christ. And I want to tell you something. Without Jesus, you have no hope of overcoming the enemy. I, I've, I've talked with people who have had trouble with uh, drugs and alcohol 
And, and don't get me wrong, there are a lot of rehabs that are, are, are good things and they've helped a lot of people. But let me say this, any rehabilitation program, I don't care which one you name, if it does not find its foundation in Jesus upon the truth of the word of God, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. So many times we try to use physical means to fix spiritual problems. We have an enemy, an adversary, which is spiritual. Satan himself. And I want you to know, if you're going to overcome him, you must overcome him, not through physical means, but through spiritual. You must be born again. It's because of Calvary, number one, they overcame the enemy. But listen, what else? Then it says something else. It says, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Confession. Confession. What are they confessing? They're confessing Jesus is Lord. Can I say something to you? At my confession that Jesus is Lord of my life, that's speaking with authority. Can you say amen? Let me tell you why I pray in Jesus' name. I'm not just tacking that on at the end of my prayers so that I hope I get what I'm asking for. I'm praying in Jesus' name because that's the only authority that matters. Amen? Hey, I pray in Jesus' name because he has authority over sickness when I'm praying for sick people. I pray in Jesus' name because he has authority over lostness when I'm praying for lost people. I pray in Jesus' name because he has authority over absolutely everything. The Bible says he holds the preeminence. All things were created by him, for him, and was not. There wasn't anything made that was made unless it was made by him. It's all about Jesus. He has supreme authority, and because I have trusted in him as my Savior, I've been born again into God's family, now I can pray in his name. Their confession was their testimony. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Can you say that today and honestly mean it, that Jesus is Lord of your life? I'm not talking about if you signed a card and prayed a prayer or went through a baptistry. I'm talking about has He changed your life? Is He real to you? Is Jesus Lord? Look what else. Calvary, confession, but then the last part, commitment. And they love not their lives unto the death. These people were willing to give up their lives by standing for Jesus. Let me tell you how they overcame. Calvary, confession, commitment. How do we overcome? Calvary, confession, commitment. Are you committed? Let me tell you how we treat Christianity and our walk with Jesus and how we treat our church from time to time. We treat it like a hobby. I'll come as I have time to come. When, 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 my, when, when what we're doing at church don't interfere with what I really want to do, then I'll try to make it. And we're okay with that. That's not commitment. You may be playing a part, but you're not committed. 
I've told you this before. Um, one of my favorite preachers is a man by the name of Bob Pittman. Brother Bob Pittman was preaching a sermon one time. He said this. He said he sat down one morning to a big old breakfast, had some uh, scrambled eggs, ham, bacon, and sausage. And uh, while he was sitting there, he said, the Holy Spirit of God spoke to my heart. And he said, I began to realize the difference between playing a part and being committed. He said, I looked down at my table there, and he said, I saw that ham and bacon and sausage. And he said, you know what? That old pig was committed in this thing. The chicken may have played a part, but the pig was committed. Listen to me. We got to get committed. How many of you believe we're on the threshold of the coming of Jesus? Y'all believe that? I believe with everything in me. You know there's lost people that you're around every day at your workplace, maybe in your home, neighbors, friends at school. Do you know that if Jesus comes back and they're left behind, they're going to go through the great tribulation in this world and they're going to more than likely, listen, doomed to hell. You hear that? You say, well, brother, they may not come back in the, the Lord may not come back for the rapture for 500 more years. You're right. But guess what? Your rapture may be tonight. Your best friend at school, he may meet the Lord tonight in death. So the time is now to get committed. Amen? Amen. Yeah. I want to read to you one more verse and I'm done. comes from Romans. Chapter number 13 and verse number 11. The Bible says, And that knowing the time, and now it is high time, watch this, to awake out of the sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. What's the Apostle Paul saying? He's saying it's time as the people of God, we wake up. I'm telling you, the Lord has given us His power by the person of the Holy Spirit. And there is power in the church that can change this community and change this world. But we can't do it sleeping. We must awaken out of our sleep, get committed in this thing, and realize above everything else, what I do for Jesus is really what matters. Amen? Amen. Folks, in a hundred years, it ain't going to matter what kind of car you drove, what kind of house you live in, or what your banking account statement says. But in a hundred years, it's going to matter a great deal what you've done for the cause of Christ. Let's get committed. In the battle that we face daily, we can overcome. But we've got to do it. Through Calvary, through confession, through commitment. Everybody stand up. Your invitation is this this morning. Do you know him? Can you say that Jesus is Lord of your life? Have you been born again? 
If there's any question or doubt within your mind this morning, erase the doubt. Get it right today. Nail it down today. Today needs to be the day that you trust in Jesus and move forward with him. Give him all you got for as long as you got. It's my advice to you. Today, trust in him and be born again in his family. If that is for you, you come. That's your invitation. If you're here today and you've already been born again, let me ask you something. Are you committed to the cause of Christ daily in your life? Are you where you need to be? Some of you may be here and you've listened to the lie of the enemy for far too long. Like I told you before, he'll, he'll accuse man before God, but he'll also accuse God before man. And he'll try to cause us to believe that the promises God has made to us is not real. And when that happens, he robs from you your peace and joy. Amen? He destroys what God has given. <laughs> See, God has given us several promises, but let me give you just a few of my favorites. How about Hebrews 13.5? Hebrews 13.5 says that he shall never leave us nor forsake us. If you believe that, say amen. amen. That's for the believer. You can claim that. God has promised he's not a fair weather friend. He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. So no matter what you're going through, God's going to be with you. But let me tell you what happens. When difficult days happen in our lives and we go through troubles and trials and tribulations, many times what happens in our lives? We begin feeling like God may not be as close as He used to be. And we listen to the lie of the enemy when He tells us, if God really loved you, He wouldn't have let this happen to you. And right then, that old devil, that deceiver, he brings accusation against God to you. Causing you to doubt whether what God says is really the truth. Did the same thing with Eve. Let me say this. Don't trust in what you feel. Trust in truth. The Bible says, Philippians 4.19, He shall supply all my needs according to His riches in glory. Amen. <laughs> Some of you, maybe you have times in your life where um, at the end of the month, you can't get ends to meet. They just wave at each other as they pass. And you wonder what you're going to do and how you're going to do this and what you're going to do over here. Let me say something to you. Be faithful to God. You trust the Lord. His Bible tells me that He shall supply all my needs according to His riches. Amen. <laughs> you can trust that. Satan wants you to doubt that. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, he tells us that nothing, Paul said, I'm persuaded that nothing, neither death nor life nor principality or power nor things in the earth or under the earth shall be able to separate me from the love of Christ. Some of you think because you failed the Lord, that he no longer loves you or wants anything to do with you. Guess what? You're wrong. The same grace that once saved you is the same grace that keeps you. So today what you need to do is confess your sins before the Lord, get that sin out of the way, and get busy serving the Savior. Amen? Amen. You come. Whatever you need, you come.